As we begin this series, no other name. It's important for us to think about the meaning that different names have. And every single name does have, uh, does have a meaning. It has the potential for, uh, for telling us something about a person and, uh, and the thing that you call someone has a potential of communicating something about your relationship that you have with a person. And throughout the Bible, we see that God has given several different me- uh, names to convey different aspects of his character and his nature. Now, the way that, uh, that our Bible is written, uh, many times we will probably glance over some of the names of God, uh, particularly in the, uh, in the Old Testament. And this is because our language of English doesn't always necessarily convey the depth of meaning that is attributed to some of the names of God that's written in the original language. In our society as well, uh, we're not the, uh, the people who typically place a huge amount of value and, uh, and significance on a, on a person's name. Now, all of our names, they do have uh, a meaning, um, but we don't really think about the meaning of our names a, a huge amount. I must admit, I had to go and look up the meaning of my name over this, uh, this past week because I actually didn't know what David meant. Uh, apparently, according to uh, our faithful friend Google, uh, David means beloved. So do with that what you will. You can come and call me beloved after the service if you, uh, if you really want to. I don't know how my wife is going to, uh, to feel about that. Now, names, we don't really think about them or place uh, a huge amount of significance uh, on them in our culture uh, today. And yet, throughout the Old Testament and uh, and Hebrew um, culture, there was a huge amount of significance placed on, uh, on names, particularly the name of God. And this wasn't because of what the name was, but because of what the name represents, it's not just about a word itself, it's about the character and the nature of the person who it's describing. And this is what we're going to be looking at throughout the entirety of this series as we go through over the, uh, over the next four weeks. We're going to be looking at some of the different Hebrew names of God given in the Old Testament, but then we're going to see how these aspects of God's character uh, shown in these names are most fully demonstrated through the person and work of Jesus. We don't separate the names of God written in the Old Testament from the work and the nature and character of Christ. Because uh, in Acts 4 verse 12, we see these wonderful words presented, which is salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So as we begin to look at these names of God throughout the Old Testament, it's not just to give us great head knowledge and understanding of uh, some Hebrew language, but it is understanding that Jesus is the one who demonstrated the aspects of God's character most fully, and it is Jesus alone who has the power to save through his name. Now, the name of Jesus... Although we celebrate the name of Jesus and lift up his name when we come here and gather on Sundays, this hasn't always been the name by, uh, by, which, God has been, uh, by which God has been known. The name that God was most often given, particularly throughout the Old Testament, is this name Yahweh. 
This name is introduced fairly early on in the Bible. Up there you'll see the way to write Yahweh in Hebrew. Um, but this name Yahweh is not given any sense of meaning until we get to Moses encountering God at the burning bush. So uh, the story of Moses, he has uh, fled Egypt, which is uh, currently enslaving the, uh, the Israelites. He's fled Egypt. He spent a long time um, out in the, the desert with a group of people. And eventually God is uh, sending uh, Moses back to... Um, I thought that was actual wind chimes here in, inside for a moment. Uh, God is sending Moses back to... Uh, to uh, Egypt to be able to free the, uh, the Israelites from slavery. And the way that God chooses to interact with Moses is by speaking to him through a burning bush. Now, Moses presents to God quite an important and reasonable question, which is, who do I say has sent me? Who is this God who is sending me to Egypt to set the Israelites free from, uh, from slavery. And the name that God gives at this moment is a name which is Ehe, which is what many of you will understand, I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. This is the first name that God gives through the burning bush, which is Ehe. But then God goes on to try and help Moses to bring clarity to what he is going to be telling to uh, the Israelites and the Egyptian people. It doesn't make sense for Moses to go to, uh, to the people and say, I will be is, uh, is the one who is set, uh, calling these people to be set free. And so instead, God gives a different name which is Yahweh. Yahweh is sending you. And this word means he is who he is, or he will be what he will be. And this is where we first see the significance of the meaning of this name Yahweh given to uh, uh, yeah, given to this name. This name of Yahweh means that he is the God of the Israelites' ancestors and his existence doesn't depend upon anything or anyone. Yahweh simply is. In Exodus 3, verse 15, we see these words. It says, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. This name that God has given to his people, I am or I will be. This was the name that wasn't just simply given to describe aspects of who God is, but was also designed to be able to describe a nature of his relationship that he designed to have with his people. So yes, he is, I am, the one whose uh, existence doesn't depend on anything. I am is eternal and reigning and supreme overall, but he is also giving a personal name to his people a name signifying that he desires relationship with his people. A little later on, 
what we begin to see uh, is the weight that is placed on this name. And in Exodus 20, verse 7, uh, God gives to his people the Ten Commandments. And the third commandment of the Ten Commandments is that you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses this name. Now, the Israelites took this and take this today very, very seriously. They never want to use the name of Yahweh lightly, even if it's by accident. And so um, what the Israelites have begun to do is call Yahweh the Hebrew version of Lord, which is this word that we, that we may have heard before, Adonai. Adonai in our language is, uh, is translated as Lord. And this is part of the reason that you might see Lord in capitals uh, as the translation all throughout the Old Testament, um, which is mostly written in, uh, originally in Hebrew. Now, this practice of not saying the name Yahweh, this is still practiced by uh, people from Israel today. Uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to, um, to go to Israel, and it was great just interacting with people as we were there and understanding more about their culture and their understanding of God. Uh, and one day, we were trotting off to buy ourselves a hot pretzel in the middle of Jerusalem, and uh, as we were in this bakery buying ourselves a, a hot pretzel, we decided to have a conversation with the, uh, with the lady who was serving us, and we were asking her um, about her, uh, her understanding of God and who she would uh, call God, what she would say about him, and there were moments that she was clearly getting quite uncomfortable because we would say this name Yahweh um, because it was our understanding. Oh, that's the the word that you use to to describe God. But it was clear that she was becoming uh, very uncomfortable with this. There was such a high respect for this name, that there was a fear that they would be misusing it at times. So even today, this is held in such high esteem by Jewish people. So we have this name that is Yahweh that has now been turned into Adonai in, uh, in order that the name of God will not be misused. But this name Adonai was not always how it was written down. That's simply how it was spoken. And so to ensure that the people who were reading the Old Testament didn't misuse the name Yahweh as they were reading it aloud, Jewish scribes decided to do something to draw attention to the readers so that they would say out loud, Adonai, instead of Yahweh. And to do this, what Jewish scribes decided to do was combine these two words, and they took the name Yahweh and Adonai, they took the uh, consonants from Yahweh and the vowels from Adonai, put that together, and they came up with this new word, which is Yahowah, which is where we get our word, Jehovah. 
This is how the, uh, the Old Testament was written. So there's these four words that mean the same thing when we say them out loud. These different words, which is Yahweh, the name of God that he gave to his Old Testament people to describe his eternal supreme nature and to describe his relationship with his people. There's the name Adonai, which is the name that Hebrew people chose to call God instead, so they didn't misuse the name uh, of Yahweh. There is the name Lord, which is what we see most often written down in our scriptures, which is the English translation when used in capitals of Adonai. And there is the name Jehovah, which is a combination of both Yahweh and Adonai, designed to bring attention to the reader that this was being used instead of God's literal name of Yahweh. And throughout this series, the name that we are going to be using for God is his original name that he gave to his people there at the burning bush, which is this name Yahweh. This word Yahweh is often coupled with other words throughout the Old Testament to describe Yahweh's character. And we're going to be looking at one of these today. But throughout this series, some of the different elements of uh, of Yahweh that we will be looking at is Yahweh Ra, the Lord our shepherd, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals, and there's multiple other names of God presented throughout the uh, Old Testament. But today, we're probably going to look at what is the first, we're going to look at what is probably the first instance that this takes place, which is in Genesis 2, where the name of God that is used is Yahweh Elohim, which means the Lord of Lords. Yahweh Elohim, the Lord of Lords. It's sometimes been um, wondered by people um, with this name, the Lord of Lords, or sometimes translated as the Lord of Gods. Does this mean that there is uh, multiple gods? Is this simply meaning that the Lord, Yahweh, that we worship is the Lord above all other gods? Without going into too much detail, that's not the point of this name. That's not the point of what Genesis 2 is trying to, to point to. The point of what this is trying to, to describe is that Yahweh, the Lord, he is above all creation, he is above all kings, he is above all other um, false gods, he is the Lord over all things. Now, you'll notice that the usage of this word Yahweh Elohim in our, uh, in our translation, um, we will see this word, the Lord God. It is different in chapter 2 uh, and chapters 3 to chapter 1. In chapter 1, he is simply called God, and then in chapters 2 and 3, he is called the Lord God. In chapter 1, the reason that he is simply referred to as God, which is Elohim, is that he, in creating creation, there is no personal relationship with 
uh, a group of people at this stage. So you have to remember that the name Yahweh doesn't just describe his supremacy and his power and his eternality, it also describes a nature of relationship that God has with people. That's part of the reason for the name change in chapter 2, which is when God begins to create his people. And this is presented uh, from verses 4 to 22. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to uh, Genesis 2, verses 4 to 22. You might be wondering as we go to this, it might be a, um, just a quick side note, it might be a little bit confusing to think, why is the name Yahweh being used in Genesis? This happens before the burning bush, but it is Moses who is the one who is writing this, who is the one who, uh, who knew the name of God. So he chose to use this name throughout, uh, throughout the whole first five books of the Bible. Genesis 2, 4 to 22. It's not going to be up there on the screen because there is something else up there on the screen. It's all the examples when this name Yahweh Elohim is used. And it says... This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It, win- uh, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river, river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then, who? The Lord God 
made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Eleven times this phrase is used. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. And it's used a further nine times throughout chapter 3 of Genesis. And as this is being written, our view of who God is, of who is doing the creating here, should rise up as we begin to understand that this is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who is above everything, who is doing the creating here. But he is the same God who intimately desires relationship with his people. Yahweh Elohim, the one who is above all things, but who also desires relationship with people, this is the God who is doing the creating. In chapter 3, one thing that does change, however, is the way that the devil begins to describe who God is. What you'll notice is all of the language surrounding the um, the dialogue in chapter 3 is that it is Yahweh Elohim. And yet the way that the devil, Satan, the enemy, addresses God is not as Yahweh Elohim, the Lord of Lords, but as a God. He's just simply Elohim. He's just one of the, the many gods that there are. Although he is acknowledging God, the devil is not acknowledging the personal nature of relationship that God wants with his people, nor is he acknowledging the nature of God who is above all. And this is what the devil still tries to do even today, to undermine who God really is. He doesn't do this necessarily in a way that is particularly explicit, but he continues to undermine who God is today. He doesn't recognise God as Lord of Lords. This is why we can be stuck with this issue um, in our world today, where people will simply acknowledge Jesus as one of the gods. He is simply uh, one way that we might choose to, uh, he's just one person who we might choose to, uh, to worship. But what we see in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, no, he is the Lord God, the one, the Lord of Lords. He's the only one. And this is what the writer is desperately trying uh, to, to make hit home throughout chapters 2 and chapter 3. That the I am, the I will be, the Yahweh Elohim, he is the Lord God. He is the one doing the creating here. Now, I find this interesting. I find this quite uh, a fascinating thing to, to be able to go into the detail of and understand uh, a little bit more. But when we begin to take a step back and look at passages like this through the lens of the New Testament, through the lens of Jesus, we begin to understand not only who God was at the point of creation, but we see how Jesus was the full ultimate representation of God when he was here on this earth. 
because everything that we have just read about Yahweh Elohim, when we read it through New Testament eyes and we see the Lord of Lords, we will understand that it was Jesus who was there right at the start doing the creating. In John 1, verses 1 to 5, this is the point of what John is saying here. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It was Jesus who was there right at the very start, at the point of creation. Jesus was the Lord God who was doing creating at the beginning. That is the point of what John is saying here, right at the beginning of his gospel account. You remember that he's trying to describe to the readers here that you remember when you were reading about creation as you were growing up, you remember understanding more about who the Lord God was. Well, that was Jesus who walked here on the earth. Jesus was the one doing the creating. There is no separation from the creator at the start and Jesus. The Lord of Lords was walking amongst us. The Lord of Lords died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. The Lord of Lords rose again three days later. The Lord of Lords is the one who is now ascended and is reigning over all things. And that is Jesus. Jesus was the same Lord who was there 2,000 years ago, what we celebrated at Christmas, and who was there at the beginning of all creation. And this is why... Paul goes on later in the New Testament and points to the fact that now, in light of Jesus, he is now declared as the Lord. In Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, that is Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He is the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus now. And every tongue needs to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is Jesus Christ now who is the name above every other name. And so what does, this, what does this mean for us here today? Understanding Yahweh Elohim, the Lord of Lords, and that that was also Jesus who was there at the very beginning of all things, and Jesus Christ is now declared as, uh, as the name above all names and Lord of Lords. What does this mean for us here today? I think there's three things that we can understand uh, from this here today. The first thing is that the name of Jesus should lead us to reverence. What I described earlier on about, the, um, about Jewish people not taking the name of God lightly, I would say that that's definitely not the case in our society today. Um, Jewish people, they won't even say 
the name Yahweh out of fear of, uh, of misusing that name. And yet for us here today in our society, the name Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name Jesus, who is Lord, has become uh, descended to the lowest place. Many people use Jesus as a swear word nowadays. And yet this is the name that has been described as the name above every other name. And this should not be the case. When we speak about Jesus, when we come into the presence of Jesus, we should do so with reverence, understanding who this is, who we are speaking to. Jesus Christ is Lord. Second thing that this should lead us to do, the name of Jesus should lead us to awe. I've heard from people, I haven't had this opportunity my, myself, but I've heard from people who have had the opportunity to meet the, the Queen, that they can be quite awestruck in the, uh, in the lead up to it. Has anyone here met the Queen, by the way? Has anyone here? Oh, Mark has, there we go. Were you awestruck, Mark? Yes. <laughs> I've heard from people that they, uh, their knees knock a little bit uh, and they are coming into the presence of the Queen. There's all these requirements of things that they needed to do. Um, as far as I'm aware, the men don't need to, to curtsy. Um, but there's all these different uh, processes and things that you need to, to do. And, and you can be quite awestruck coming into the presence of, uh, of this person. Being in the presence of... Jesus, we can probably take it for, um, for granted sometimes, and yet how much more awesome is it to come into the presence of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above every other name. We should be awestruck when we come into the presence of Jesus. It should lead us to reverence, it should lead us to awe, and it should lead us to worship. Philippians 2, as we read earlier, makes it really clear that the name of Jesus is the name that is going to be worshipped for all eternity. The name of Jesus should be leading us to worship, not just in future eternity, but right now. Not because of the name, but because of who the name belongs to and what the name represents. It represents Jesus. This name of Jesus is the name that belongs to the Creator and the Lord above all others. And we have an opportunity to worship Him right now. So team, do you want to come on up? And we're going to lift up the name of Jesus together. Why don't you stand to your feet and let's, uh, let's pray. Yes, King Jesus, it is so good to... Um, to be able to just speak your name... And we don't want to sing your name lightly. We don't want to say your name lightly. We want to be aware, keenly aware of the name that we are speaking and, and singing. As we come to you in worship now, give us a sense of reverence and awe as we worship you.
give us an awareness that right now all of creation and heavenly hosts are lifting up the name of Jesus. The same Jesus who walked here 2,000 years ago, the same Jesus who was there at the beginning of all things. God, I do ask that it won't just be something that we speak out, that you are Lord, but we won't allow any other, anything else in our life to be Lord of our life. You alone deserve the worship. You alone deserve the praise. And we lift up your name, King Jesus. Amen.